can state electors cast their votes for whomever they choose in a presidential election? We witnessed several electors do just that in 2016 in their effort to deny Donald Trump his hard-won victory by throwing the presidential election into the House of Representatives. However, they did not succeed. On Monday, the United States Supreme Court ruled 9-0 to zero that states can punish electors who abandon their duties and try to game the system. This ruling supports our electoral college system and arrives just in time to discourage faithless electors in the 2020 presidential election. I'm Gail Trotter, host of The Gail Trotter Show. I'm a liberty-loving, tyranny-hating lawyer based in your nation's capital. My goal is to keep you informed and to be your spokesman in Washington, D.C. Subscribe below to my show so you don't miss a daily episode, hit the bell, and comment down below on topics that you would like me to cover next. I have three reflections to share with you about the faithless electors decision by the United States Supreme Court. First, the Electoral College remains an important part of our constitutional system, despite efforts to kill it or to thwart it. I'm going to link down below to the opinion of the Supreme Court so you can read it yourself, easily find it if you want to. Justice Elena Kagan, one of the liberal block of the Supreme Court, delivered the court's main opinion. Quoting from her opinion, the states have devised mechanisms to ensure that the electors they appoint vote for the presidential candidate their citizens have preferred. With two partial exceptions, every state appoints a slate of electors selected by the political party whose candidate has won the state's popular vote. Most states also compel electors to pledge in advance to support the nominee of that party. The court upheld such a pledge requirement decades ago, rejecting the argument that the Constitution, quote, demands absolute freedom for the elector to vote his own choice, end quote. Today, we consider whether a state may also penalize an elector for breaking his pledge and voting for someone other than the presidential candidate who won his state's popular vote. We hold that a state may do so. The elector's constitutional claim has neither text nor history on its side. Article 2 and the 12th Amendment give states broad power over electors and give electors themselves no rights. Early in our history, states decided to tie electors to the presidential choices of others, whether legislatures or citizens. Except that legislatures no longer play a role, that practice has continued for more than 200 years. Among the devices states have long used to achieve their object are pledge laws designed to impress upon electors their role as agents of others. A state follows in the same tradition if, like Washington state, it chooses to sanction an elector for breaching his promise. Then, too, the state instructs its electors that they have no ground for reversing the vote of millions of its citizens. That direction accords with the Constitution as well as with the trust of a nation that here, we the people rule. 
So that was from the majority opinion in this case, the Supreme Court case. And her majority opinion was joined by Chief Justice John Roberts, Ginsburg, Breyer, Alito, Sotomayor, Gorsuch, and Kavanaugh. Justice Clarence Thomas filed an opinion concurring in the judgment, and Justice Gorsuch agreed with the second part of Justice Thomas's concurring opinion. The second point that I want to share with you today is that our electoral college balances the interests of our 50 states. I'm going to link down below to an article on foxnews.com entitled, The Supreme Court's Decision on Faithless Electors is a Victory for We the People. The subtitle of this article is, The Supreme Court has affirmed the Electoral College as an important part of our constitutional structure. This was written by authors Smith and Van Spakovsky, who we've had Hans on before to talk about election issues. Quoting from their article, This arrangement balances the interests of the larger states with larger populations and the smaller, often more rural states with smaller populations so that presidential candidates won't ignore those smaller states and only campaign in the large urban population centers. Through the mechanisms established in our Constitution, including the Electoral College, We, the people, choose our leaders and retain ultimate sovereignty over our own affairs. The Supreme Court has just helped us maintain that sovereignty. So just think about that, that there is this effort to try and make all of America ruled by the large urban population centers that are mostly controlled by liberal Democrats and that are in flames right now. They're having so many problems with law and order. And a lot of the laws that are passed in these cities are not ones that the rest of America needs or wants to be bound by. So in their wisdom, our founding fathers who set up the Electoral College understood that we are the United States and that we need to give the proper place to the states in our system of government. And if we have a way that the presidential candidates can put all of their resources only into these urban population density type places, then they're going to ignore the rest of America. And that's not something that would work out well for our constitutional system of government. So the Electoral College is one of the checks in our constitutional system designed to uh, adjust for that type of uh, effort to just ignore parts of America that national politicians don't want to hear from or don't want to invest time or money into those areas. So the third point that I want to share with you about this case today is that we are witnessing an effort to foment a cultural revolution, and at times like these, we need to be especially strong in our institutions and the rule of law to avoid more chaos. So I'm going to link down below to an article by Jim Garrity at National Review. It's entitled, Hurrah for the Supreme Court's rebuke to faithless electors. And I want to read from this article. He, Jim writes, faithless electors could be shrugged off as oddball gestures of political defiance back when it was a rare gadfly voting for John Edwards for president, John Kerry for vice president, switching the ticket, or some other similar inconsequential act, footnotes to history. 
But one of these cycles, we could see another close finish akin to, 2000, to the 2000 elections, 271 electoral votes to 266. If a candidate won more than 270 electoral votes on election night, but then ended up with fewer than 270 because of faithful, faithless electors, or flipped to the candidate who finished a close second, the country would be in a genuine political crisis. So Jim is pointing out that even though a candidate could win the 270 votes required based on the way the Electoral College is set up, if you had this effort to throw it into the uh, House of Representatives or to even flip it so that the second place finish finisher would be in the put into the vaulted into the first place, then you would have political chaos like you would not believe. If you think that the uproar over the 2000 election was intense, this would be even a bigger disruption of our electoral process. So reading further from Jim's piece, perhaps in past cycles, a stronger sense of duty and honor prompted electors to keep their word, no matter how they personally felt about the winning candidate. In today's more narcissistic culture, perhaps some adult-minded electors see changing their vote as a step to fame. I mean, think of all of the things that people do nowadays. This is me talking, not Jim. But think of all the things people do now to insert themselves and to grab power for themselves and to put them into the public spotlight. Jim is pointing out in this article that you could see that this would happen more under the, the circumstances that we find ourselves. He goes on to write, the 2016 election saw seven faithless electors, costing Hillary Clinton five she should have won and Donald Trump two. As Jim wrote back in 2016, our elections run on trust. These faithless electors have publicly pledged to support a nominee and in some cases signed written pledges. Once the election results were in and it was too late for them to be removed from their positions as electors, they announced that they intended to vote for someone different. So it's not just that they voted for someone different, they announced that they were gonna vote for someone different. If this phenomenon becomes more common every four years, people will justifiably ask whether their vote matters at all. And apart from what Jim's saying, we need to establish trust in our election system. We wanna have integrity. We want people to go to the polls, to feel like they are empowered to have a choice in these elections, that it's not just decided by elites or bureaucrats, that they have some measure of making government accountable to what they want, what they believe, and what they're able to rally other voters to support. So Jim goes on to say, the existing penalties may not be sufficient deterrent against faithless elections, or perhaps this year all the electors will take their duties seriously and the trend of faithless electors will wane. But the unanimous decision probably increases the odds that electors will recognize that no message justifies breaking their promise. Justice Elena Kagan wrote in her majority opinion that states may instruct electors that they have no ground for reversing the vote of millions of its citizens. That direction accords with the Constitution as well as the trust of a nation that here we the people rule. And then Jim Garrity says, 
How often do we get to say, amen, Justice Kagan? He's so right. So this was such an open and shut case that you saw essentially complete agreement by all of the justices on the Supreme Court that this wasn't even a close call. So wrapping up, the left would prefer that the entire country be run by the political wishes of liberal California and liberal New York City. The Electoral College is one of the safeguards to make sure that the densely populated liberal urban areas do not have a disproportionate share of power over the entire country. Thank you to the Supreme Court for recognizing the importance of our constitutional structure. I don't know how old you are watching this, but you might remember a special episode of Schoolhouse Rock on our Electoral College. I'm going to link down below in case you've never seen it before or if you want to revisit memory. But I think that the text of this Schoolhouse Rock episode on the Electoral College shows that even cartoonists understood about this in the 1970s when Schoolhouse Rock came out. And I quote, the folks who wrote our Constitution had the idea for this plan, and it's been used in our election since our government began. When you pull down on my levers for the person of your choice, you're also choosing state electors who will have the final voice. They're called the Electoral College, and they'll meet to stipulate who the voters have selected to be the winner in each state. Now, the number of electors that your state is going to get is based on total population. That's a formula that's set. And when the popular vote is counted to find a winner in each state, each state will pledge all of its electors to choose the winning candidate. I like it. I like it. E-L-E-C-T-O-R-A-L. Electoral College, and we deserve a yell. And even if the vote is close and someone wins by just a little tiny hair, electors give that person all their votes and it's considered fair and square. I'm going to send your vote to college when you vote for president. And now the electoral college will work the way our founders meant. So what if they don't have a big macho football team? It's every politician's special dream. Because everyone who graduates, yes, everyone who graduates, everyone who graduates becomes the president. Please join me today in praising the Supreme Court on social media for their decision in the cases Chiafalo versus Washington and Colorado Department of State versus Baca. This was a true victory for we the people. Thank you so much for joining me today. Subscribe below so you don't miss a daily episode. Hit the bell and comment down below on what you think the topics are that I should cover next. Thanks for listening to The Gail Trotter Show, right in D.C. Be sure to sign up for her mailing list on her website, gailtrotter.com. And also follow her on Twitter, at Gail Trotter, as well as on Facebook and Instagram. Subscribe now, it's easy. Thanks for listening. Share the truth. Share The Gail Trotter Show.